We are continuing our series entitled Summer of Joy. Everyone say joy. Everyone look at your neighbor and say, you look so joyful today. Now, real quick, let's just expose the room. Raise your hand if you feel like you were just dishonest with the person next to you. <laughs> I believe this. I believe that Christians should be the most joyful people on the planet. I believe that nobody should be more joyful than the body of Christ. Unfortunately, that has not historically been true of the body of Christ. Growing up in the church, uh, the holiest people I knew were the grumpiest people. We would have these evangelists come in and they would yell at us about heaven and hell. And I never saw those guys smile, not one time. You know what I'm talking about. These guys would just come in and I'm like, where's the... Where's the joy? And this is our series text in Psalms chapter 118, verse 15. It says, shouts of joy and victory resound in the tents of the righteous. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. If anybody should be overflowing with joy, it's the people of God. I believe that shouts of joy should not just arise from clubs. Shouts of joy should not just arrive from stadiums where they're celebrating sports teams. Shouts of joy should arise and resound from the house of God. We ought to be a people. Yeah, you can clap, that's good. We can do that in church. We have to be a people of joy. And not only is great joy available to you, but great joy is actually your birthright as a son or daughter of God. And I'm frustrated at an enemy that is convincing sons and daughters of the living God that they can settle for a life where I'm empty, broken, battered, bruised, and depressed when great joy, great joy is available to you. Come, come on, somebody say joy, joy. is available to me. We're believing this, that this is not just a cute sermon title with merch available. We are declaring over your life, over your family, over your home, there will be joy. Joy is coming back to your life. And I'm sick of the enemy convincing people that they should live for a lesser version of life than God intended for you to live. I'll give you an example. I am deeply competitive. Anybody else, my show of hands, I am deeply competitive. I love sports. I have to win. I lost pickleball yesterday and I am still thinking about it on stage as we preach. I cannot can differentiate between game seven of the NBA finals or if we're just playing three on three basketball in the backyard, I have got to win. Uh, but even though I love sports and I'm passionate about sports and I'm deeply competitive, there's one sport that I've always been terrible at, it's baseball. I'm bad at fielding, I'm bad at batting and that's most of the sport right there. And so uh, I've always been bad at baseball. I was better than Andrew, the coach's son, even though Andrew played more than me because he was the coach's son. It's not the moral of the story. I'm just still a little bit salty about it 17 years later. But I'm so bad at baseball that once the coach called me in to go play second base and I was all excited. I grabbed my glove and I ran out there and in between innings, I'm warming up and I'm catching the ball and I'm throwing the ball. And within 30 seconds of the coach watching me warm up, he said, actually, Lamadou, come on out. And he sent me back to the dugout to eat more ranch flavored sunflower seeds. If you're bad at baseball, you've probably encountered this moment as well as I did. There were several moments, a handful of times where I was on deck about to bat and I'm dreaming of hitting a home run. I'm dreaming of hitting a, getting a base hit and the coach would walk up to me as a 12-year-old boy. He'd put his arm around me. He said, hey, don't swing. <laughs> Just take the walk. 
Which looking back at it now, I'm like, it's kind of messed up that these grown men were telling 12 year olds, just don't even try so that they could win this regular season little league game. Like I wonder if Wayne is just sitting back on his lazy boy, looking at all his little league trophies right now saying like, I did good, I did good with my life. He would look at me and he would say, hey, don't, don't swing, just, just take the walk. Just take the walk. Just take the walk. And, and I felt like God started speaking to me that there are a lot of people in church who have been told by religion, don't swing, just take the walk. Don't try to thrive in this life. Don't try to do anything special. Don't try to live victorious. Just get in the back batter's box, cross your fingers, hold on for dear life, and pray you make it to first base. And the religion told you, just hold on, tread water, and pray you make it to heaven. I'm telling you today, church, you're made for more than making it. You're made for more than just arriving on first base or just making it to heaven. No, the same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead lives on the inside of you so you can have joy and chaos. Come Come on, you can have peace in the middle of things that don't make sense. You can be more than a conqueror and you can have great joy. You can have great joy. And I don't think anybody in this room is like, you know what? I hear what you're saying. I don't want any more joy in my life. Like nobody in this room is like, I've actually got more than enough. I'm going to roll out and see you next week. Everybody wants joy. The question is, how do we live in this joy that is available to us. And I want to turn to Psalm chapter 16 and verse 11. It's one of my favorite verses in the Psalms because it gives us a few keys on how we can live a life of joy. If you're ready for the word, say yes. yes. Psalm chapter 16 and verse 11. It says, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand, there is pleasures forevermore. Over the next few moments, I'm gonna attempt to do something that no preacher has ever done. I'm gonna pull three thoughts out of a Bible verse. And over the next few moments as we talk about Psalm chapter 16 and verse 11, I want to speak to you from this subject, look no further. Touch your neighbor, say, look no further. If you're single in the room, smile at the person you have a crush on and say, look no further. In a world that is looking for joy in fleeting, passing things, I'm proposing to you today, look no further than the presence of God because joy is found in one place, it's his presence. The Bible says this in Psalm 16, it says the fullness of joy is found in his presence. So if I want joy, here's number one, you've got to pursue his presence. If I want joy, I've got to pursue his presence. And that seems kind of obvious, but I think oftentimes we internally believe that, the, that we allow the quality of our life to determine the level of our joy rather than allowing the level of our joy to determine the quality of our life. And here's what we do is we have circumstantial joy. Could you pull up those targets for me? This is the way that we often live. If it is my goal or my prerequisites for joy is I need a perfect job, I'm never mad at my boss. I've got, I need to have lots of money, a perfect family, no trials, and perfect health. 
And we say, if I hit the bullseye of every single one of these targets, then I'll have a life of joy. The problem is this joy is called circumstantial joy. And if you allow your joy to be predicated upon your circumstances, you will always be a victim of the ebbs and flows of life. You will always be a victim of spiritual weather patterns rather than a recipient of God's promises for your life, which is that you can have great joy, right? So we allow circumstances to dictate our life, but I've got really, really good news for you. If you want joy, you do not have to hit the bullseye of a thousand different targets. You've got to hit the bullseye of one target and it's called his presence. There's one target that leads to joy, the fullness of joy, it's in his presence. I wanna illustrate it to you just for a moment. I've got a, uh, I've got a router here and uh, for the technologically challenged, let me break this down to you. A router is what produces Wi-Fi in your home, okay? So Wi-Fi is the goal, the router is the source. The closer I get to the source, the more connected I am to the Wi-Fi that I want. The further I am from the source, the less connected I am to what it provides. I want you to imagine that you and I are 10 miles away from this geographical location. And I am 10 miles away trying to connect to a source that is miles and miles away. And I'm just complaining to you. I can't, I've tried to connect and I don't get it. I just can't do it. I'm trying to connect. I, I prayed and asked God that I would have Wi-Fi. I quoted scriptures about having Wi-Fi. I looked in the mirror and said, you shall have Wi-Fi. I, I did all of the things and for some reason, I just cannot connect. You would look at me and you would say, hey, if you want what the source provides, you gotta get close to the source. And that's basic, but how many of us are miles and miles and miles away from the presence of God? And we're saying, why can't I have joy? I prayed and asked for joy. I quoted scriptures about joy. I declared there will be joy at the end of the service last week. And I just can't have joy. And I'm here to propose to you that if you want joy, you've got to get close to the source of it. It's called his presence. There is no place outside of his presence where you receive joy. There's no equation where you subtract the presence where you receive joy. Why? Because you were made for his presence. The reason why the presence of God feels like home to you is because it is. When God created you, he took a soul. He put it on the inside of your proverbial chest and he designed that soul to crave fellowship with the living God. David said it like this, just like the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs for you. So when God created you, he gave you a soul that longs for God. You are made for his presence. I'll take you all the way back to creation, okay? Genesis chapter one and verse one, you may know the verse, in the beginning God created what? The heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void and darkness hovered over the face of the deep and the spirit of God hovered over the waters. And then God said, Genesis one, two, let there be what? Light and there was light. We're familiar with that portion of scripture in creation, but in Genesis chapter one and verse 10, something unique started happening. God created the land and God created the water. Don't miss this. God looks at the land and he says, let the earth bring forth trees and grass and shrubs. And then God looks at the waters and he says, let the waters bring forth 
fish and creatures of the deep. Now, science question for you, for you. Where does a tree need to stay if it wants to live? It has to stay inside what? The dirt, the ground, the earth. If a fish wants to have life, where does it need to live? In the water. So God is setting something into order from day one that if you want to live, if you want to have life, if you want to thrive, you have to stay connected and inside the environment that you came from. So the earth, the, the tree came from the earth and the fish came from the water and then it came time for God to create man. And God did not pull you from the water and God did not evolve you from a monkey and God did not pull you from money or possessions. But Genesis 1:26 says, let God make, let us make man in our image. So the tree came from the earth and fish came from the water and you came from him. How do I live? How do I have joy? How do I have life? How do I thrive? I've got to stay inside the presence that I was born for. I've got to stay in the environment that I was designed for. You are as reliant on the presence of God as a fish is reliant on water. Well, no, I'm not. I'm living just fine. No, no, no. You're existing, but you have not experienced life until you've experienced the source and been in proximity to his presence. This is not just something for the spiritually elite. Every person within the sound of my voice in this room and watching online, you were born for the presence of God. You got to pursue the presence. He created you for this. I want to tell you, believing in Jesus will get you into heaven. Fellowship with Jesus will get heaven into you. Believing in Jesus will get you into eternal life. It will get you onto first base. But fellowship with Jesus gets you joy in this life. I don't know if religion sold you a bad bill of goods, but you don't have to wait until you walk through the pearly gates to feel joy, to feel peace, and to feel life. You can have joy right now. Can we take five seconds and bless him if you believe it? Great joy. Joy is found in one place, it's in his presence. I think the enemy's main goal for your, for your life is to convince you that you can find joy in other sources. John chapter 15, Jesus talks about this. If you know me, you know I love John 15. John 15, one says, I am the true vine, say true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Look at verse five, it says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much, bears much fruit for apart from me, you can do nothing. John 15, five is synonymous with Psalm 16. In my presence is fullness of joy. If you abide in me, you'll bear much fruit. But I want you to notice that in John 15, one, he said, I am the true vine. Now, I'm a Bible nerd, so I love looking at the Greek and the original language. And so I, I was looking at this word true in the Greek word, and it's the Greek word aletheinos. We're learning Greek today in church. Everyone say aletheinos. Here's what aletheinos means. It means not just to have the appearance, the name, or the resemblance of a vine, but to have the real life-giving nature of a vine. So Jesus is saying, I don't just look like a vine, act like a vine, talk like a vine. I actually produce life when you connect to me. And the reason why Jesus said he was the true vine is because he was distinguishing himself from false vines. He was saying that there are other vines that look the part, act the part, talk the part, that the enemy will convince you if you connect yourself to this, you'll have life. But unfortunately, they do not have the nature that actually produces life inside of you. And, I found, and I'm not even talking about sin today. 
I'm talking about good things that were meant to be supplements and not sources. I'm talking about the vine of people. As soon as I can get married to the perfect spouse, as soon as I can have a perfect friend group, as soon as my parents are perfect, then I will have joy. There's something missing in me and the answer is another person. And people are great. I love people. I'm one of them. But the fullness of joy is not found in his people. And when we try to connect to the vine of people and we cannot find life, then we connect to the vine of possessions. As soon as I have fill in the blank, then I'll have joy. As soon as I have that car, that job, that office, that title, as soon as I make X number of dollars, as soon as the salary hits a certain number of figures, then I'm gonna have joy and possessions are great, but the fullness of joy is not found in his possessions. We connect to people, we connect to uh, possessions, and then when we can't find life in either of those things, then we go to the vine of position. As soon as I'm doing what I've always dreamed of doing, then I'll be happy. Then I'll have joy. As soon as I walk in the prophetic word that I've received, as soon as I do the dream that I've always dreamed about, then I'll have joy. And if there's any vine, if I can be vulnerable and transparent with you on this stage, if there's any vine that I identify with, it's the vine of position. Because I can remember being a teenager and feeling empty feeling broken, feeling not whole. And I can remember thinking as a teenager, as soon as I have a ministry, as soon as I have a microphone and a stage and can get on airplanes and go preach in other places, as soon as I can prophesy, as soon as I can see miracles, as soon as I do the thing that I've always dreamed about, was prophesied about, as soon as I get that, then I'll have joy. And something terrifying happened. I grabbed a hold of all of it and found that there's no life that comes from any vine that is not the true vine. Can I be honest with you? And I hope you hear my heart today. I'm living my dream. I am married to the girl of my dreams who's sitting on the front row. I've got two sons that look just like me. I have my dream job. I've got all of these vines of position around me. And guess what? When I neglect his presence, when I distance myself from the source, when I neglect fellowship, I still feel bankrupt and empty and lost and anxious and depressed. Why? Because joy comes from one vine. It's Jesus. Joy comes from one place. It's his presence. I feel the presence of God. Can we thank God for five seconds that he is the true vine, the only place I find life, the only place I find joy, the only place I find sustenance. You were made for his presence, amen, sister. People caught in this vicious cycle, people, possessions, position. People, possessions, position. It wasn't here, maybe it's here. Life wasn't here, maybe it's here. And you go round, 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 and round, and round until you are dizzy and sick and broken and void of joy. 
And here's a mistake that a lot of people make is they think that emptiness is God punishing them for walking away from him. The emptiness that you feel is not God punishing you. It's the love of God inviting you to the place where your soul can actually find true satisfaction. The emptiness is an invitation. The anxiety even is God inviting you back into his presence. The depression, though it comes from the enemy and can come from natural causes, it is God inviting you back to the place where true joy is found. Now, the question is, how do I get in the presence of God? And and the presence of God is not rocket science. It's not difficult. It's not challenging. The presence of God, if you want to get in the presence, it's, it's not just for preachers. It's not just for Caleb when he kicks his leg up like that really high in worship. This, this is for every single person within the sound of my voice. The presence of God is for you and you are made for the presence of God. So how do I get in the presence of God? It's simple. Put a time and place in your calendar where you spend time with him every single day. And in that time, you don't have to get hyper spiritual. Don't start praying in King James. Oh, thine, oh, Father, Lord. Come blesseth me. You don't, you just come into the presence of God and be yourself. Talk to him. Tell him why you're mad. Tell him why you're angry. Tell him what's frustrating you. Tell him, tell him what's bothering you. Bring him in to all of that. But I think, I want to take this a little bit further because I think when we think of the presence of God, we only think of hyper spiritual moments. We think of prayer, we think of, uh, of fasting, we think of worship on a Sunday morning, we think of reading his word, and to be clear, all of those things are necessary and essential to right fellowship with God. But I wanna call your attention back to Psalm chapter 16 and verse 11. The first part of the verse says this, you make known to me the path of life. You make known to me the path of life, which tells me that God doesn't want to just be with you here. He wants to walk on the path with you. And if you want joy, you've got to pursue his presence, number one. But if you want joy, number two, you've got to bring him on the path. You are designed for continual fellowship. You are not designed to walk out of those doors, look over your shoulder and throw up the peace sign to the Holy Spirit and be like, see you next week. You are designed to bring him with you. See, when Jesus was baptized in the waters, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit descended upon Jesus in the form of a dove. And we know that part, but there's a secret hidden in the scripture that says that the dove did not come and go, but the dove remained. And the mission of my life is not that I would feel him on a Sunday and then leave his presence all week. The mission of my life is, God, would you walk with me on my Monday and walk with me on my Tuesday and on my Wednesday, I'm in your presence. Oh my, anybody hear what I'm saying? He wants to take you on, on the path. Bill Johnson talks about this. He says, if there was a dove on your shoulder and you were to walk from where you are to where I am, how would you walk you would take every step with the dove in mind. What would happen if we took every step with his presence in mind? I read this scripture and this transformed the way that I think about prayer, the way that I think about life in Acts chapter 17. I'll show it to you in just a moment, but I wanna show you oftentimes a misconception of how we live our life. Could you pull up that chart for me? This is oftentimes how we live, like I've got fun, I've got work, I've got meals, and everything's compartmentalized into different moments of my life. And one of those pieces of this pie is my time with God. I want to tell you, this is one of the greatest lies that religion has ever told. 
that God just wants to be a part of your life, your Sunday morning or your Wednesday night. But friends, he is a jealous God. He's not after this much of your life. He's after all of it. And what God did when Jesus tore the veil from top to bottom is he broke out of our cute little chart and he said, I'm invading every single aspect of your life. Work is time with me. And meals, that's time with me. And time on your job, that's time with me. And when you're driving your car, that's time with me. I want to show you this scripture, Acts chapter 17, verse 28 says, for in him we live and move. That dramatic pause was to take a breath if you didn't know. In him we live and move and have our being. It does not say in him we pray and preach and prophesy. It says in him we walk on the path. I cannot tell you the amount of times that God has met me in mundane moments. I remember the first time it happened, I was in high school. I was thinking about church that night. It was a Wednesday. I was thinking, I can't wait to go worship so I can get in the presence of God. And I just heard Holy Spirit whisper to me, I'm with you even here. I'm in between classes feeling the presence of God. There's been moments where I've been at restaurants, eating, thinking about the goodness of God. Y'all, the amount of times that I've been on planes, weeping as I'm listening to worship music, people are looking at me like, are you okay? Is there something wrong? Why? Because God does not just want to invade your Sunday mornings. He wants to be on the path with you in every moment. God's presence is accessible. And I wanna show you this, that mundane moments are not just moments that he wants to visit. Mundane moments can be worship. Worship does not just look like a lifted hand or a shout of praise. Look at this, 1 Corinthians 10, 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. Hold on, Paul. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. It would make sense if Paul said, whether you pray or read your Bible or or preach, do it for the glory of God. But he said, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. So I believe God is redeeming your mundane moments and making them worship. The meal that you share with your family after this can be worship. The drive home after a long day at work tomorrow can be worship. Playing on the floor with your kids, that can be worship. Come on, parents who are rocking their babies in the middle of the night who will just not go to sleep. (laughs) Thinking about, oh man, I wish I could be doing more for God. Friends, you are worshiping in that moment. When you're raising your kids, it's worship. When you're around a meal, it's, it's worship. It's all glory to God. I can remember I was at a park. And I was swinging my boys, Micah and Carter. I've become a master at swinging them. It's a way, you know, you can get it to where they're going like this, you know. know, It's like dad energy. And I was swinging my boys. And I was feeling like I should have been praying more that week. Should have been in my word more that week. And then I thought of this scripture in 1 Corinthians 10. Whether you eat, drink, swinging your kids, Do it for the glory of God. And the presence of God began to flood me at that park as I realized that every time I lifted my hand to push him, 
It was just as holy as if I was lifting my hands to worship Jesus. Because it's all worship. You feel the presence of God? It's all glory unto him. The only way to joy is to bring him on the path with you. I felt like God told me this as I was praying for you yesterday. He said, I'm invading the time where you're running errands. I'm invading the trip to the bank. I'm invading the trip to Walmart, especially that one. Come on, we need Jesus at Walmart. He said, I'm invading the mundane. I'm invading the Monday. I'm invading the movie night, the walks, the workouts, the vacations, the valley, the mountaintop, the valley, the journey in between. He's invading the times where you sit and he's invading the moments where you sing. He's invading the moments where you pray and the moments where you're in pain. Friends, he is invading the moment where you worship and the moment where you weep, the moment where you're distracted and the moment where you're devoted. Can I mess with the religious people in the room? He's invading the moments where you read scripture and he's invading the moments where you read captions. Because he doesn't just want a piece of it. He wants it all. If you want joy, you gotta pursue his presence. If you want joy, you gotta bring him on the path. I feel like there's probably people in the room today who would say, there's no way I could walk with God like that. I'm not spiritual enough or I've sinned one too many times. There's no way I could live in the presence of God. It reminds me of Moses. You remember Moses, hero of the faith, leads the Israelites out of Egyptian captivity, but along the way as he's leading them, he makes one mistake. God told him to do one thing and he did the opposite. And because of that mistake that Moses made, he was unable to enter into the promised land. And I've heard preachers my whole life talk about how Moses wasn't able to enter into the promised land. And maybe you're here today and you feel like Moses. I feel like there's Moseses in the room, both male and female, who would say, I would love to live in the presence of God like this, but there's just no way I've made too many mistakes. And I've got good news for you that it's actually a common misconception that Moses did not enter into the promised land. He did not in his natural life, but in Matthew chapter 17, something called the transfiguration happened, where Jesus began to show his glory. And Jesus invited two Old Testament characters to join him on this mountain. And one of those people was Elijah and the other person was Moses. And when Moses' foot hit that ground, Moses was standing in the land that God had promised him. So yes, in the old covenant, in the old law, Moses was unable to enter into the promise, but through Jesus, no matter what mistake you've made, no matter how many sins you've committed, God's presence is accessible to you. This is the goodness of the gospel. Jesus did not just bleed, die, get buried and resurrect so that you could have a get out of hell free pass. Jesus died to give you access to his presence. Romans 5, 1 and 2, I'll read you this verse and then we're gonna pray. Therefore, having just been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access. Say access, say access. Say, I've got access. Have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. You have access to his presence because of what Jesus did on the cross. 
You make known to me the path of life and your presence is fullness of joy. I told you I'll pull three thoughts out of the text. At your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. At your right hand, that's familiar language because the Bible teaches us that when Jesus ascended after his resurrection, he took a seat on a throne at the right hand of the Father. And so David in the Old Testament was prophesying of a time where this man by the name of Jesus would come, bleed, die, be buried, resurrect, and ascend and sit at the right hand. And so here's the third thought for you. If you want to have joy, if you want to live a life that is more abundant, if you want to have peace, if you want to live a vibrant life, you got to pursue his presence. You got to bring him on the path. And you also got to, number three, remember the price that Jesus paid for us to enter into his presence. Would you stand to your feet all over this place?